Hi, Nancy. Hey, Willis. So, what are two of the most famous names attached to St. Louis that you can think of? Hmm. Well, I think we all know, because of high school history class, about Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, right? Yeah, they're most famous for their early 1800s expedition across the western part of the United States. But you know, there was another man named York who was also an integral part of this journey. But he's usually left out altogether, right? Yeah, it really seems that way. But St. Louis storyteller Bobby Norfolk wants to change that. I'm Willis Ryder Arnold. And I'm Nancy Fowler. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Bobby Norfolk is a national Emmy Award-winning storyteller who grew up right here in North St. Louis. Yeah, and how long has he been telling the story of York again? He's actually been telling this story for 14 years. And you know, that whole story, of course, revolves around the fact that York was a black man enslaved by William Clark. And now Norfolk wants to have York take his rightful place in history as an equal contributor. And so his performance, Through the Eyes of York, the Lewis and Clark Expedition, aims to let people know that Lewis and Clark did not lead this expedition all by themselves. Oh, and who can actually see that event? Well, it's open to school groups as well as the general public, and they're all invited to hear about this unknown part of what's called the core of discovery. And so we talked with Norfolk about his mission and the kind of effect it has on audience members. And sometimes the response is really life-changing. So come along with us as we initially hear a piece of the story from that upcoming event. It was the winter of 1804-1805, and the Corps of Discovery was in the village of the Mandan and the Arikara, and the people there had never seen an African-American person before. You have to understand that the bravest and the most powerful warriors of the indigenous nations in what is now North America, they thought that by painting themselves with charcoal or paint, it would show their bravery. So they thought York was real brave. They thought he had been dipped in chocolate and set to dry. And so the chiefs tried to rub off his paint, quote unquote, wouldn't come off. One chief even spit on his hand and tried to rub off the paint. And then when they found out that the skin was his natural hue, they thought that York had supernatural powers. I'd like to know more about the specific contributions of York. What did he do? Why was he so important? From the time that they left (laughs) wait for it, Charlottesville, Virginia area. And then they came to St. Louis and they got outfitted and supplied to go on their two-year journey. York was not allowed to carry a weapon while he was in Virginia, but he became one of the best marksmen on the Corps of Discovery. So he was able to bring down bison and elk. He was able to shoot smaller animals for the men to eat. At one point, Sakagawea, not Sakagawea, as some people have said for 240 years, oh, but okay. the pronunciation of Bird Woman's name, she was Shoshone, and they call her Sakagawea. At one point, William Clark and Sakagawea and the little baby that she had, and a big storm broke out, and William Clark, Sakagawea, and the baby got trapped, and so York left the camp, went and found those three and brought them back. So it sounds like that not only did York almost die, but he actually saved the life of William Clark. More than one time. More than one time. And so, therefore, he was literally responsible for the exhibition even continuing. A lot of historians even think that 
the Corps of Discovery would have not even made it across the Continental Divide had it not been for York. How do we know? Did did uh, York write? No, he was illiterate. He was illiterate. So how, where are you getting the information about how the experience was for him? Just through the journaling of Lewis and Clark, their perspective only? Pretty much the journals of Lewis and Clark and some of the other men in the Corps of Discovery that could read and write. They also talked about York's heroism and his feats of strength. But they were all white? They were white. These people are all together. Survival uh, is at stake. There has to be a certain degree of, uh, of teamwork and unity, and yet York was not equal. How was he actually treated on the journey? At first, he was uh, mistreated, as most enslaved men would be around a big group of white men. And so at one point, some of the men were horsing around and they took dirt and they threw it in York's face and he couldn't get the dirt out, almost went blind. And at that point, William Clark stood up and said, do not mistreat my body servant. Do not, not let's not mistreat York, my body servant, because I need him. So self-interest. Yes, self-interest took priority over York's safety. So in St. Louis, when you see the commemorative statue that we have here, you see Lewis and Clark and their dog. Yes. And there's no York. And right now we have a lot of emphasis going on around statues and the Confederacy and who gets to commemorate and depict history. What would you like to see change in that arena? In Louisville, Kentucky, where York once lived, there is a statue in downtown Louisville, Kentucky of York. So I think it's like William Clark, the dog in York. Then in Hartford, um, Illinois, one of the major campsites before the band went off on the expedition, they have the um, the stars, which is York, the dog, Chicago, Ware, and Lewis and Clark. So it goes back and forth. So there are some depictions of him, but not here in St. Louis. None I have seen in St. Louis. I mean, Louis. as far as like the, with the group. I mean, there's that individual statue exactly. of him. But as far as being a part of that group, the dog is there, but not York. Exactly. It sounds like his experience or the narrative of York's life is very much a metaphor for slavery at that time and America's relationship to slavery. Why do you think it's important at this time to tell that type of story? With the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan, the neo-Nazi party, and the white supremacists, it is very important that we relive this history because As a student of history myself, I found out that history is a continuum, that if we don't correct the mistakes of history, it's bound to repeat itself. And we have faltered many times in the great American experiment since 1776, which brought on many revolutionary and movements of change. So what I have seen in this particular incident is that unlike what happened in South Africa, with truth and reconciliation, there is a group of people, there is a power structure that resists truth and reconciliation in the United States of America. We have to get past that block. There's a mental block that if certain whites think that if something else is being given to a person of color, then it takes away from their white privilege. Do you, and if so, how do you see the storytelling that you're doing and the current emphasis on York making any sort of inroads into how 
you want to see things change right now? As a storyteller, uh, another uh, synonym for storyteller is griot and historian. And so what I have found is that I need to be the griot, the historian, the storyteller. And for that reason, the work that I do is not a job. It is a mission to let people know about what happens in story. Everything we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell comes through a story, either the spoken word or the printed page. And so what happens is that when we learn a story, we then pass that story on to future generations. One of the things that you focus on specifically in your storytelling is like personal narratives, narratives of an individual's success or an individual's struggles. And I'm curious how telling stories like that, as they specifically relate to history, kind of challenges dominant narratives or the kind of narrative of the two white guys who went on and had this really successful expedition. When people listen to a story well told, all of a sudden the eyes get wide, the mouth drops open, and they lean forward from their chairs. And then right at that point, you can hear a pin drop. And so neuroscientists have said that is story hypnosis. The only thing that can break that spell, loud noise behind you, then you turn around and look, or somebody walking between teller and listener. So I have to ask, you're a storyteller. You're up on stage. You must see that hypnosis moment. What's that feel like when you see that kick in? It's like being at Hogwarts. <laughs> it, is incredible. <laughs> it is a magical moment because I have sometimes seen in 350 kids in a theater or in a gym, kids on the floor, and there's this rapt silence, and I see teachers lean forward and look back and forth at these children, and then the teachers or the principals say, I have never seen these children this quiet for 45 minutes. My goodness, what, what, you had a spell over these children. And so I let them know it is not me. I am just the messenger. It is the power of story at work. So this might be a really good time to pick up that story you started us off with, where York was kind of being introduced to Native American tribes. So York being a very tall and powerful man, had feats of strength, and he growled and snarled and said he used to eat children. And the Indians, of course, were totally enthralled by this man. And they thought that he was the leader of the Corps of Discovery instead of Mary Lewis and William Clark. And Lewis and Clark did not think that that was a good idea. And so they tried to whisper to York to tone it down, tone it down, because he was getting more terrible than they wanted him to be. And then what happened after that is that every village that the Corps of Discovery went to, all the way to Oregon and back to St. Louis, York was the featured performer. And the Native people thought that York had supernatural powers. They even changed his name, as a matter of fact, from York to the Big Medicine, sent by the Great Spirit, the Great Mystery, coming down to visit the people of the Great Plains. And you're going to be performing this in mid-September in 2017 when we've seen recently a number of white supremacist marches and rallies. Is that going to be in your mind while you're telling this story? It is going to be very much paramount in my mind because what has happened with my research since 2004 when I started performing this piece of work, I have gone to all white communities performing this piece 
And so what I have found is that I put a lot of comic relief in this program because it's a very touchy subject talking about white privilege and black slavery. My job as storyteller is to make sure that what I say on stage resonates for the children that may come to that 10 a.m. show as well as for the adults. As a matter of fact, I had performed this program for the Elks Lodge in Alton, Illinois one day, and I was at the buffet table. The program was over. The talk back was over, and I was in my street clothes again, loading my plate at the buffet table, and an old white man on a cane came up to me and poked me in my back. Yark, yark, yark. I said, oh, time to get back in first person. <laughs> said, yes, sir. He said, you mean that SOB didn't free you after the expedition was over? I said, no, sir, he didn't. He sure didn't. He said, that's a damn shame. And he walked away. I said, he was in it. He was all the way in the moment. He was in the zone. I was still yarked to him. And you can hear an audible gasp in the audience when I get to that point where York is not freed and then is whipped to try to break his spirit. And so at that point, nobody goes against York's blackness, no matter what color. And I saw this man had to have been about 89 years old, and he resonated with York being free. I don't know if you're prepared to do this, but I'd be really interested in hearing that moment when you are doing that storytelling, if you can't just... You mean that, that pivotal that moment? That piece in, yeah. the, in your storytelling. York said, sir, mission accomplished. He said, two years from the expedition, um, you gave those other men money and land. Uh, what about my freedom? Can't give you your freedom. York, I need you as my slave. Can't give you your freedom. Sir, I beg to differ. I worked for you for two years on the expedition, almost saved your life from all these encounters and going over the Rocky Mountains, almost died, got back to St. Louis. Sir, give me my freedom. York, back off me, boy. I can't give you freedom. York didn't back off. And so York kept arguing with Clark. Clark thought York had lost his mind. He told the overseers, man, get him, grab him. He's being insolent and sulky. They tied York to a tree, ripped off his shirt, gave him 50 lashes across the back. blood ran down on the ground. Finally, York said, Sir, well, let me see my wife. I'm, I was the only man that was married in the Corps of Discovery. Let me see my wife. All right. You see your wife, boy. She's in Louisville, Kentucky right now, but you see her for two weeks, and you come back to St. Louis. If you don't come back to St. Louis in two weeks, I'll send the slave catchers after you. Have you sent to a severe master down in Louisville, Kentucky, and all the way down in New Orleans, Louisiana. York came back in two weeks by way of Kentucky, and then he was not sent down to New Orleans, and it took nine years for Clark to give York his freedom. That was St. Louis storyteller Bobby Norfolk talking about his event called Through the Eyes of York, the Lewis and Clark Expedition. This is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced by Nancy Fowler, and Willis Ryder Arnold, with help from our editor, David Casares. The music you heard throughout is from music producer Trifecta. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. 
St. Louis Public Radio's podcast series, Cut and Paste, is made possible by space, architects, designers, and builders, creating St. Louis's favorite spaces. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.